Father, we thank you once again. Father, even this time is a time of worship. Even though it's me who's speaking, we believe, Father, that you will speak through me. And Lord, all of us will honor you by listening intently. Father, you said, to this one I will look, who is of a humble and a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Even though you are a God who is high and lofty, holy, where you sit in the heavens, heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool, but yet, O Lord, you are close to the broken hearted. And Lord, you are near to those who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. And I pray, Father, this morning you will find such a people in this house. Beginning with me, O Lord. All of us humble children who reverence our Heavenly Father. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are hearing. Open our eyes and open our ears to be able to understand your word and to be able to put it to practice. Anoint us afresh this morning. Touch every one of us. Anoint us to speak, anoint me to speak and anoint all of us to hear and more importantly, empower us to obey. Not grudgingly, but from the heart, willingly. Deliver us, O Lord Father, so that we can obey and glorify and exalt your name. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let's revisit once again our key parable from which we will unlock many parts of the Bible. By the way, uh, Jesus was telling that in Gospel according to Mark chapter 4. He says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any other parable? So this is the key parable to unlock all the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Our understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of God depends upon our understanding and the obedience that we will have when we listen to and understand uh, the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower that we popularly call it as. Okay, so we will revisit that. Uh, particularly, we'll look at a few verses and then we will launch from there. Matthew chapter 13, let's look at that verse 10 onwards. And the, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Therefore, what we have is should be given of God. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Okay? This is true of every student. Okay? If you, if you are, um, I'm, I'm not sure how, the, how it is in your universities, at least whether the, the university has to work, um, the course was totally professor dependent. Okay. So, uh, if you want to understand lecture number two, you should have un- understood lecture number one. And everything is sequential. It's linear. If you don't understand lectures one, two, and three, by the time you come to lecture four, you're gone. And by the time you come to lecture five, you might as well drop the course. 
Okay, so adding and dropping we have, I'm not sure if you have it in other universities, we have adding and dropping of courses, IFLU has adding and dropping, yeah, maybe, I don't know, yes, you have adding and dropping of courses, so a lot of people drop, <laughs> you know why, because they're not able to get it, because they don't understand the first parable itself, you know, the first class, and therefore it's sequential, if you don't understand the first thing, you will not understand, so if you understand, you will understand even more, even as you progress in your walk with the Lord. That's what he's saying. For whoever has to him, more will be given and he will have abundance. You see, that's, that's the, that's the key. Alright, let's move on. But whoever does not have, naturally, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is the reason of a lot of people, when they do one day batting for exams, you know what one day batting is, right? They're cramming. Oh, everybody's laughing. My goodness, all culprits over here. Okay. <laughs> okay. One day batting means tomorrow exam, today we will study. So they said, don't tell, teach anything new. Whatever is there, that all also will go. <laughs> Let us just, so, so this is exactly what we means, no? So if for, for the, for the person who does not have whatever he has, that also will go. Okay. So therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You know, one of the things that professors typically do, you know, because I come from teaching uh, in universities, if they don't want to have many students in their class, you know, what they do, the first lecture, they make it dasu, okay? And the, the, the teacher, the students get scared and by the next class, half the class is gone. Okay, so this happens. So this is exactly what he, even Jesus is doing. Okay, we all learned it from Jesus. Jesus was the master teacher. He knew how to get rid of <laughs> unnecessary crowd because a lot of people come to a course because they want to get a grade. You know, this is a common discussions they have around tables in mess before registration. Are prof Cool prof Prof, both cool. Matlab, you'll get easy grade without studying. Huh? So, the way professors eliminate students is by making the first class itself tough, so that half the crowd is gone, whoever is genuine stays. I remember, um, if you remember this man, Andrew Giles, he's a professor in Princeton University. He is the one who actually solved the Fermat's last theorem, the proof for the Fermat's last theorem. Seven years he worked. Seven years on one proof. Professor from Princeton University and he got the field medal for uh, in mathematics and mathematics doesn't have a Nobel Prize. They have the field medal and he was given the field medal. And you know, the way he solved that problem, you know what he did? He wanted students to help him to solve the problem. But he wanted his name only. So you know what he did? He floated a course in the university. Just to get an insight from other students. Okay, so a lot of students used to come, they didn't know this fellow was actually solving the problem. And by the time 15 or 20 classes were over, half the, I mean, the entire batch was gone, only two or three students were left. Okay, so that is how we got the field medal, it's there on YouTube, you can see Fermat's last theorem, Andrew Giles, okay, it's a very interesting um, uh, documentary. Alright, therefore to them I speak in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not understand, uh, do not hear nor do they understand. But to you, it is given. So we looked at the parable in all the four gospels and we looked at each one, each dimension of the parable and we looked at uh, a part of it on last Sunday, we looked at a part of it on Wednesday, we took, looked at how do we combat unbelief, the first two soils were those people who do not believe. I mean, Satan comes and takes away the uh, takes away the words so that they don't believe at all. And the second kind of soil, those is a stony ground wherein uh, they believe for a while. After a while, they just because when the persecution arises because of the word, they just give up and they fall away. 
So we looked at how do we combat unbelief in our lives. And we have unbelief is there in all of us. There's a unbelief which is in the world. There's unbelief which is in the church. There's unbelief in the disciples. There are unbelief in scribes. All different kinds of unbelief we looked at last time and how to combat that. And look, today we look at another specific dimension of this parable and look at Luke's Gospel chapter 8 and see one particular dimension and from there we will uh, launch into the sermon. Uh, Luke's Gospel chapter 8. Now this, now this, now the, now the parable is this. That is the explanation of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. <clears throat> Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, hearts, lest they should believe. So they don't believe at all. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. And some of the translations will use, they don't have moisture, who believe only for a while. And in a time of temptation, they fall away. That is the second type of soil. Third type of soil, now the ones uh, that fell among thorns are those, when they have heard, Go out and are choked with care, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That is the third kind of soil. This is very interesting. They bring no fruit to maturity. And then, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who have heard the word with a noble and a good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. So if I would just summarize uh, the Luke's, uh, Luke's account of the parable of the sower, we have four types of soil. Broadly speaking, those who don't believe at all. Second, those who believe but only for a while. Yeah. And those who, the third type, those who don't bring fruit to maturity or to completion or perfection, who always fall short. In other words, they don't, they don't complete that what God has started in, in their, in their lives. And the fourth type are those who bear the fruit with patience even a hundredfold. Let me tell you something. This parable is talking about, if you look at the parables of the kingdom, you know, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he was telling, you know what, the first first parable is the parable of the sower. So you have a lot of people who will believe and a lot of people who do not believe. And then a second parable, he talks about the parable of the tares and the wheat. It's interesting that both the wheat and the tares grow together. Okay, so what he's saying is, in a church, you will always find people who are false, and you will find people who are true. You understand what I'm saying? There is always going to be people who are sold out for God completely, and those who are, those are a set of people who are, you know, who have put boundaries, and who are actually not sold out for God. You see? Who are, who are still having reservations as to whether they should commit completely or not. And and nobody knows who it is. Uh, so the, the the angels say, "Lord, look at what look look what the enemy has done. Should we go and pluck it off?" God says, "No, no, no. Wait, wait. Lest you pluck out even the good ones. Wait till the end of the age, and there I will harvest them, the good into eternal life, and the bad into eternal fire." So you will have in every church, in every dispensation, true disciples, false disciples, true believers, false believers. And if you look at the three types of soil, there are the false believers and there is only one type of soil which actually produces fruit even a hundredfold. That means with they, f- they produce fruit to maturity. Remember uh, in Act, I mean, Genesis chapter 25 or 26, if I, I think 25 where it says Isaac sowed during famine and he reaped how much? Hundredfold. And if we are all Isaacs, 
Yeah, we're all Isaacs. That's what Galatians says. You, my brothers, like Isaac, are what? Like our children of the promise. So if you're all Isaac, what should be our goal to bear a harvest of how much? Hundredfold. So we should not we should not fall short of maturity or completion or perfection. That means we should not have a divided heart. And you need to understand that is the reason why it is difficult to walk this narrow path. Very, very difficult. It's not easy at all. And don't ever think if somebody comes and tells Christianity, come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. Nonsense. Your problems will only increase and multiply. Exponentially. Okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that book. I was, I'm reading this book by Martin Lord Jones called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Okay? Um, he says, if Christians don't understand the gospel, what will happen to them? They will be prone to spiritual depression. Depression occurs in our lives, it is no, only because we don't understand what the gospel is. So we need to understand, it is not easy. Say it is not easy. Not easy. Aha. Uh-huh. Absolutely not easy. Thank God, it is not easy. Yeah? Because when it is not easy, actually, uh, somebody said, are you a Christian? Uh, I'm trying to be. If he's actually trying, he doesn't know what Christianity is. You can never try to be a Christian. It is impossible to be a Christian. It is impossible. Okay? It is an impossible possible task. That is the reason why when the rich young ruler comes and says, Lord, what should, what good teacher, what good thing I shall do to attain eternal life? You know what Jesus says? Keep the commandments. He says, which ones? And he, Jesus mentions how many? Six. Six commands. That's interesting. Six is the number of man. Six, meaning man can try his level best and what is the number of perfection? He will always be minus one. He will always fall short. And then Jesus says, I know you're putting, you're obeying all these six. If you want to be what? Perfect. Complete. If you want to be mature, you know what you should do? Forsake all. Give away everything to the poor. He will have riches in heaven and come and follow me. That man goes. And you know, the disciples are stunned. They say, Lord, who can then be saved? You know what God says? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Christian life is absolutely impossible. To give up everything for God, you think it's normal? It is not normal at all. People will call you fools. You're an absolute fool if you give up everything for God. Okay. Understand? I was telling Samir we should celebrate what? All Fools Day. Really, truly. Because we are fools for Christ. Really. Because the world will call us fools. They will say, this is insane, man. What are you talking about? They they, they told Abraham, you're insane, you're crazy. You're going to leave your father's house, all this prosperous life, all this prosperous business. For some God you don't even know, you just called you and you're going to go get into famine. Forget it, man. You're a fool. So the way is difficult. It is narrow. That is the reason why in Matthew chapter 7 it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to life, uh, leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Why? Because everybody chooses the path of least resistance. Okay? Resistance, the least resistance. We always want what we call as pursuit of happiness where least pain, maximum pleasure. Okay. Christianity has got a completely different outlook on pleasure, by the way. 
And he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult. What is it? Difficult. Say that, the word difficult. Say that, difficult. Difficult is the way which leads to life. How many will find? Phew! Boy, this is the sad truth about Christianity. You, know, you see, so many years, Apostle Paul ministered. You know what he writes in his last letter? Everybody in Asia Minor has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me. Titus has gone here. Please, you Timothy, come and minister to me. Everybody has forsaken. The way is narrow and difficult. Look at what it says in the parallel account in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Look at what it says in 22 and 24. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward, the, to, uh, toward Jerusalem. Then one of them said, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. What does it mean? Strive means agonize. Oh boy, you know what agony is, right? Agonize means you, you should be like a athlete who agonizes to get the first, first prize. To, to get the, uh, if you have seen uh, any athletic competition, athletics competition, what happens in the last when they come to the finish line, everybody is stretching to the maximum so that they can hit the the, the rope first. Stretching. Because they are going for the perishable crown. You see? Strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able to. Why? Why? See, if I look at our church, Predominantly, we don't possibly belong to the first group. Maybe we don't belong to the second group. But the group that we can always get ourselves trapped into is the third kind of soil. And I want to look at that third kind of soil specifically in detail today, using some examples from the Old Testament and looking at the, some concepts in the New Covenant to get an idea as to how we should we can examine our hearts to see if we are really uh, completely sold out for God or not. The third type of soil. The third soil. What are the third soil? Three categories, he says. They are consumed by the cares of this age. What is the cares of this age? Trapped by this time. They are not eternity focused. They are focused about this time. Okay? Second thing, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Third thing, he talks about are the desires for other things. Three things. Cares of this age, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Cares of this age, the deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things. So what do they have? What kind of a heart do they have? Answer? A divided heart. Okay? So, James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Who God will give every them, every, uh, everything to them freely. But let him not ask with doubting. A doubting man is like an unstable, is a divided man, is a double-minded man and he will receive nothing from the Lord. Today I want to look at one divided heart. What is a divided heart? One example of a divided heart and how do we overcome a divided heart? How do we identify a divided heart and how do we overcome a divided heart? Okay. All of us have our hearts divided in different directions. That is the reason why uh, David says in, I think it's Psalm 86 verse 11. He says, unite my heart to fear your name. Our heart is divided. That is the reason why we have the song in Hindi. 
शीशा हो या दिल हो टूट जाता है इनटू डिफरेंट डिफरेंट पीसेस ओके सो अवर हार्ट इज डिवाइडेड इनटू सेवरल डिफरेंट कंपोनेंट्स एंड एवरी पार्ट हैज गॉट वन डिजायर and what god is doing is he is wanting to make our heart completely whole i mean if you were there i mean we were just attended a wedding uh, recently couple of days back and pastor was preaching in that in that during the wedding and he was looking at the bride and the groom and he went close to them and he said he told them you know what don't give your heart to each other give it to god don't give your heart to each other give it to god give your hand but don't give your heart I mean that's wise counsel. I tell you, okay, because we have this. No, whenever you have wedding, you'll see two hearts and one cupid arrow. It's typical, and that is one thing that you should not do in a wedding. Heart belongs to God. You know that is the reason why he says, "The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children to love the Lord with all of His heart." With all. No, I mean, that was this is uh, <laughs> crazy concept, right? Um, I, my children are not here so they can use their example nowadays are very 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 sensitive okay daddy you are not supposed to use our example so witness them very careful because they are there in the service now they are not there i can use their example now they have this homework okay they have to read every every day they have to read one chapter in the book of genesis for the next uh, several months and uh, the parents have to explain okay so we didn't have any problem till genesis 15 we didn't have a problem genesis 16 we didn't have a problem hagar somehow we managed hagar and the story i mean how do i explain to children somehow i explained and the next story was circumcision and i asked justin how do we explain this circumcision to children and she was she was she gave me some idea i know i told them it is cutting off your flesh of your body uh, i said how do we explain that you know it's like uh, talking about circumcision in a women's conference how is it going to happen if you if you if you if you get the picture no <laughs> you see it, how do we explain it to children so i said okay i'll read it and i will read it fast so i started reading and lo and behold they asked me the question so what is that thank god i just lot just give me something i said you know what you know what circumcision means that which god does to us so that we will love him completely i mean thank god i said you know they they eyes that means you don't love chocolates you don't love dresses you don't love friends you don't love going to uh, to your your relatives home you don't love going all this you only love first to obey jesus that is what circumcision means thank you later on they'll get to understand what it actually means but i'm safe no for the time being see this is important we need to understand what it is okay to love the lord your god with all of your heart what does it mean and divided heart what does it mean how how can one have a divided heart so let let us look at one specific example in the old testament to see what it means to have a divided heart in a microcosm it could mean several things but we will look at one story and just um, identify ourselves if we do have a divided heart it's his this the story is of the uh, is of uh, the king whose name is amaziah amaziah's father was joash Now Joash was this guy who was seven years old when he was 
made the king. And you know how he was made, how he was made the king? Joash had a grandmother called Athaliah. Athaliah, if I'm right? Athaliah. Okay. Athaliah. And she killed all the royal seed. But Athaliah's sister, or Joash's, uh, so Joash's uh, mother's sister, she hid him carefully. You know why? Satan is always after the seed of the woman. Okay, so carefully hid him and finally uh, Athaliah is killed and Joash is made the king. Seven years old when he becomes king and he has a priest, who's, his name is Jehoiada. Jehoiada is a priest who, who mentors him, who teaches him the ways of the Lord and as long as Jehoiada is, 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 is alive, Joash is gungo about the temple, he's gungo about God and one day Jehoiada dies. Once Jehoiada dies, a bunch of people come, he takes his advice and they turn away from the temple and they worship all false gods. It's amazing. Seven years old, for several decades, he's faithful to God, but one time the false gospel comes, he turns away. That's exactly how it is even in Christendom. There is always combating false doctrine. You know something? We're always combating false false doctrine. We're all combating false doctrine all the time. False ideas. In Timothy it says, in the last days, Spirit expressly speaks, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. You know, this is very interesting. Um, <laughs> Tim Keller uh, is giving this uh, about false In one of his sermons he was talking about this. Okay, It's very funny. In our homes also, we tell our children, oh, be very careful, don't let strangers talk to you, okay? Don't let strangers talk to you and strangers come and give a chocolate, say no. Be very careful with strangers. Okay, we tell our children. So his four-year-old son got really exasperated and he said, Come on, dad. I'll know when a stranger and a bad man comes. It's easy for me to recognize. Oh, really? And he looked at him and he said, how will you find out that he is a bad man? His face is like this. <laughs> I mean, if that is so easy, the whole seducing spirit ka matlab kya hai? Something which is so subtle, you don't even know it is happening to you. This is, what it, what, this is this is not ordinary, guys. That is the reason why it says the lips of a strange woman, it says in Proverbs, the lips of a strange woman are like honey. Okay. One of the things that we the way we feed our children breakfast is by putting what? Honey. Right? That is how we just send a lot of stuff into their stomachs. Okay, free pass, honey. That's exactly what a lips, strange woman, it says, the lips of a strange woman are like honey, but in the end it is bitter as wormwood. Bitter. Though you don't see it. It doesn't say that, that's exactly how the enemy will not come. <laughs> he will not come and say. So when we have these guys who are doing this drama with any, with the devil like this, with horns and long tail, nonsense. We used to do all those dramas when we were kids just to give a representation for the devil. But devil is not like that. Devil could be right here sitting in our congregation. Devil could be through Peter. Amazing. It could be. You see? 
It's very subtle. That is the reason why it says, be wary because even Satan will transform himself into the what? Into the angel of light. You see, it's not easy. It's You need to really have a spiritual antennae tuned to understand what is of God and what is not of God. And we are always combating it because false doctrine looks so smooth. It looks so real. It could be 99% truth and 1% error and that 1% error is enough to mess us up. Right? So, we, so Amaziah was that. False doctrine comes. I mean, so Josh was that. False doctrine comes and he turns from the living God and after that he messes up. Zechariah, Jehoiada's son comes and warns him. They kill him. They stone him. And you know the story. The end of Joash. Joash is murdered. A conspiracy and is killed. And Amaziah, his son, his mare into the king. And this is where we find Amaziah. Let us read Amaziah's story. Second Chronicles chapter 25 verses 1 onwards. Okay. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Johadan of Jerusalem. Look at this. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Read that. But not with a perfect heart. You see that? Loyal heart. It's other translations. Whole heart. Other translations. Perfect heart. It's very interesting. The translation in the Greek, in the, in the, in the Hebrew. A heart which is at peace. Shalom is the word that is being used for perfection. Shalom means peace. Complete, not peace, peace. Okay, a lot of believers are peace, peace. They're all just gathering the fragments of their life together. How do you know? When you go to their homes, you'll know. See, all things all over the place. Peace, peace. Relationships are in peace. Finances are in peace. Everything is in pieces only. This man is a man who did not follow the Lord with a perfect heart. But he did right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. You see, it starts there. You see, that is the third kind of soil. What has happened to him? How do we recognize his, uh, that if we fall into the categories of, uh, of uh, Amaziah? And what is this not having a perfect heart? How do we analyze this? We'll come to the details of that a little later, but let us just go on to the story. Chapter uh, verse 3. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established by him that he executed his servants who murdered his father. Remember, Joash was, was, was murdered, was assassinated. However, he did not execute their children, but did as it was written in the law of the Moses, a law, a law of the uh, law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded saying, the father shall not be put to death for their children, nor the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Perfect. He didn't take revenge. You know, it reminds me of Saul. Remember Saul? Saul, when he started, to be, he, be, he became the king. Few people don't accept him as king. But after he wins the victory, they said, bring those sons of Belial. Let us slay them. You know what Saul says? Don't do anything to them. Don't do anything. That is, that is Saul. He forgives them. That's how he starts. But slowly he drifts away. This is how even Amaziah starts. He starts with forgiveness. Apparently. But look at what happens. Let's move on with the story. Chapter 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and, and found them to be uh, 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. But during Jehoshaphat's time, they had even more. 
Jehoshaphat's time. They had even more, but sin, you know, whenever you sin, your strength will always go. So he had only 300,000 choice men. So what does he do? So he hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver, which is about 14 million dollars, I think, or 1.4 million dollars. I think it's approximately 1.5 or 1.4 million dollars. He hires 10,000 soldiers from Israel. But then what happens? But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel uh, with you, not, uh, sorry, for the, uh, sorry, uh, go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim, but if you go, be gone, be strong in the battle, and if you go to battle, you will be defeated. That's what it says. So, verse 7. Not with the, uh, not with the children. And verse, verse 8, but if you go, be gone, be strong in the battle, even so God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. And verse 9, then Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents of silver, silver that I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. What is this man? Try to understand. This man, is more worried about success than to be faithful. Success, successful or faithful? Mother said, Mother Teresa, we all know, one famous statement of hers, it is more important to be faithful than to be successful. That is Mother Teresa, she got it from the Bible. I was reading an article about a devotion from one particular church, I don't remember, and this is what it says. We are encouraged from births to be winners. It becomes ingrained in us. Right? How many of your fathers and your parents said, Chadu, 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 chadu. Okay? Many were pushed to be successful. Yeah? Most kids got some kind of trophy whether they win or not. Yeah? Make him feel, okay, Baba, just give him some trophy. I remember, if you've seen that movie, Incredibles, have you seen that movie, that that uh, cartoon movie, Incredibles, and this son, uh, <laughs> he's, he's very, very crazy, naughty fellow, right? And uh, mother says, we have a graduation service for our son, a graduation ceremony for our son. He's going from the first grade to the second grade. What graduation ceremony? People have found strange ways to celebrate mediocrity. That's what he says. Like pastor was saying, you drank milk, very good, very good, come on, come on, come on, come on, very good. Such a good girl. Look at this. Children graduate at least two times before they finish high school. I mean, I mean, it's, this is exactly what is happening today, even in India. I mean, I graduated twice, once when I finished my master's, second time when I finished my PhD. That is when I wore the gown. My daughter, she wore the gown when she was graduating grade one. Shocking. Wow, why are you putting that gown? She can read. So, look at what it says. By the time a person reaches 30, he or she should be married, own a house, have two cars, and have 2.5 children. Mm -hmm. Round it out to the nearest decimal, okay? Three or two, because we... (laughs) You're laughing, okay? So, either three children or two children, okay? Practice family planning. Okay. Let us move on. So, two cars and 2.5 children. What happens if you don't measure up? 
we can feel astounding pressure to achieve these things when really they are not the most important thing. Nor do they guarantee success. In God's economy, success is measured by what? Faithfulness. That is the reason why when the when this talent guy with five talents comes and makes it ten talents, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you made a lot of profit. No, he says, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is important to understand. If you want to measure Jesus by his success, then he was the most unsuccessful man on earth. How many people did he bring? Twelve people, one fellow, son of perdition, eleven people deserted him at the cross. If you if you look at uh, success in terms of uh, numbers, 600,000 men were the number of people Moses brought out of Egypt. How many entered in the promised land? Two. He also was disqualified. Can you manage? Can you imagine? Success? You see, success is not in terms of numbers. You know, it's not that God is not interested in numbers. He wrote the book of numbers, as we know. But it does not mean that we will measure our success in the amount of number of people that we have. We measure our success in the way that we know God. That's the reason why it says in Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his strength, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let them boast that they, what? Know God. That is how we measure success. Okay? So, in God's economy, success is measured by faithfulness. So, you see that. Even Solomon was trapped by this success. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Why did he love many foreign women? Because he wanted to make strategic alliances. Mm-hmm. Women of the Moabites, Edomites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts from after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love and he had 700 wives Princess, 300 concubines. Whenever I read this, I say, boy, I get stunned. I just can't imagine this. It's unbelievable. See, the Bible says they're two, they're not two, they're not, no longer two, but what? One. That means two personalities are joining together. You can imagine the kind of demonic transaction that would have taken place in Solomon's life. See that? Stuff. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was what? Not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And then what happens? For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. You will just note down that point, please, carefully. As did his father David. So let's come back to Amaziah's story. So Amaziah discharged the troops, the Israelites. He said, okay, fine, I'm not going to take them. Thank you for coming and correcting me, man of God. That came from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah. And they returned home in great anger. So, you know, God says, don't uh, take these people. You know, when you reject some people, they get really angry. I don't mean, don't come and be a part of us. They get really upset. Very, very angry. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged, so that, so that they would not go with him in battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Heron, killed 3,000 men and took much spoil. So these guys, uh, Israelites... They they move away and they're upset and they go and kill 3,000 people and take a lot of spoil. 
However, Amaziah goes on, moves on. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, leading his people. He went to the valley of salt and killed 10,000 people of Sire. Sire means the Edomites. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were all dashed into pieces. This is brutal. So what does Amaziah do? He kills 10,000 people. He captures another 10,000 people and he takes them to the top of the rock and pushes them down. This is... This is uh, sadism to the to the to the uttermost. Let's move on. Now it was so after Amaziah had come from the slaughter of the Edomites, so that he brought the gods of the people of Sire, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah and he sent him a prophet who said to him, what did he say to him? This is what he said. Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? Do you think about it? Think about it. He says, you know what? If you were defeated by an enemy, okay, some Syrians have come, Assyrians have come, they have defeated you and they have forced their gods upon you. Don't You don't have a choice but to worship them. This is something else. You defeated them. And you took their gods and you started worshipping them. Isn't it very weird? Strange? No, think about it no, in our terms. Think about the most successful people you know in your life. Outside the kingdom of God. Very successful. The moment I close my eyes, I can see several people. In fact, my universe is full of them. We bow down to the idol of education and success and money and what have you. See, it's very interesting, you know, if my university, I'll just, just give you an example, you know, I, because I worked in the university for eight years, I don't know what I'm talking about. Our university is called the research university. Research. So, if people give up their software jobs to do research, you know what the professors will say? Are great man, you are not money minded like them. You love research. So, the people who get good jobs, they look down upon the research fellows and will say, Gee, you work so hard in the lab. How much do you get? How much, what is your stipend, Baba? PhD students? Stipend? Compare your stipend with your software employee. Your head will be put to shame. There's no comparison at all. They will look down upon area. Look at my tanka. Look at your life. On the other hand, the researchers will say, you fellows, you work for money. Look at the research we have contributed to the society. This is a contribution to science that we have made. These fellows have idol as science. Those fellows have idols as money. Both are worshipping their idols and despising one another. Okay. It's, it's very interesting. Oh, he gave up his software job and he's come to academia. Now, if I tell them, I gave up my software job to become a pastor, they will look at me and say, you are a fool. I mean, this, this, because, because I know where they're going. I know where they are going. Because I have the truth, not because I'm better than them. I know exactly where they're going with their gods, research or job. I know where they're going with their success. Let me tell you honestly, software employees, by the time they're 33, 35, 36, they have blood pressure, 
diabetes no kidding what my, our parents had when they were in 50s and 60s they will have at 35 overweight and most of them what are they doing they are running in the morning jogging and no they don't even have time for jogging some of them how is unbelievable we have really become obese <laughs> at a very young age if you know what is the number one problem in the united states is obesity people are overweight it's happening right in front of our eyes right in front of our eyes and what do just imagine if we take those gods and we bring it to church and start worshiping those gods success that's exactly what god is telling amasa do you know these gods are not even going to rescue them what are you doing worshiping them that is what has happened to amasa so it was as he talked with the king uh, with him the king said to him have you made the king have you been made the king's counselor cease why should you be killed shut your mouth get lost that is amasa okay let's move on jonah chapter 2 verse 8 those who regard worthless idols forsake their mercy idols in your heart whatever idol that you have baba your career your money or your wife your relationship whatever may be your idol sometimes even could be ministry could be your idol god says big idol for some people ministry because that is the reason for their life if the ministry is not there what is the reason for their for them to live what happens if you regard worthless idols you will be forsaking your own mercy look at what it says in romans chapter 1 because although they knew god was 21 onwards romans chapter 1 was 21 onwards because although they knew god they did not glorify him as god nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools and what did god do and i mean sorry and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible god into an image made like corruptible man etc and what happens for therefore god also gave them up for this reason god gave them up verse 26 verse 28 god gave them over to a debased mind god gives them over to something which is not supposed to be done coming back to the story of amasai then the prophet seized and said i know that the lord has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice then what happens you see when you don't seek god's advice you still need what advice now amaziah king of judah asked advice we don't know from where you see that now amaziah king of judah asked advice you know i think ravi zacharias was the one who was citing or quoting somebody he said the problem with people who don't believe in anything is not they don't believe in anything they believe in anything that comes their way anything they comes their way they just believe it think about it no if your body is starved for let's say several days you eat anything do you know that you eat even rats you can eat anything because i know it no no this is you say yak 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 you go to holocaust mus- uh, uh, stories you go through the holocaust stories they will tell you how they survived kosher eating jews how they survived the, the holocaust they eat they ate anything that comes their way now think about it if your spirit is starved what will happen to you 
If your soul is starved, what will happen to you? You eat anything that God gives. As I mean, the devil gives. Any poison. So, Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent Joash, the son of Jehoaz, and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle was in Lebanon, sent to the sailor that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And the wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You know, he says, I am one tree in Lebanon, forest of Lebanon. You are one thistle. You are saying, come and marry my, I am going to send your son to marry my daughter. One wild beast is coming and devouring you. You are bidding, you are, you are too much. After all, nothing. You are too proud. Look at what he says. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, verse 19. And your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall? You and Judah with you. But does, does Amaziah listen? No, he does not listen. Look at what is happens. But Amaziah would not eat, for it came from the Lord, that he might give them to the hand of their enemies, because they sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, the king of Israel, went out, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. And verse 23, So then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, at Beth Shemesh, and he brought him to Jerusalem, broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner, corner gate, 400 cubits, defeats Amaziah, kills Amaziah. Amaziah is dead. The conspiracy is, uh, he's murdered. That's the end of Amaziah. I just looked at it in order to understand some lessons. What is the first lesson? First lesson, he did not follow God with a what heart? With a perfect heart. Now what is this? What is the meaning of a perfect heart? How do we know what is perfect heart? We all know the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Everybody knows it. Mark 12 verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First, we know this very well. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the scribes said to him, you are right teacher, verse 32. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all of the heart, with all of the understanding, with all of the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when he saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the, ah, notice that, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What does it mean? The kingdom of God, it should be inhabited by people who will love the God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, not by giving sacrifices and burnt offerings. Sacrifice and burnt offerings, God is not required. God is not requiring. Burnt offerings and sacrifices, no, 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 no. What is he requiring? He is requiring obedience. Total allegiance. Love with all of heart. With all heart. You know, recently we were conducting a wedding, right? They exchange rings. It's a beautiful statement when they exchange rings. What token of love that you bring to this man? This ring. So pastor just takes the ring and he puts it on uh, the bride or the groom. This ring is a token of my love to, to you. With my body, I honor you. And all that I have, I share with you. 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Same thing with the guy to the girl. This ring is a symbol. With my body, I honor you. All that I have, I share with you. Tim Keller makes a very interesting point. He says, just imagine, a guy is proposing to a girl. He buys the most expensive ring, diamond ring. 24 carats? That's the best? I don't know. People are looking blank faces, but okay, fine. 24 carat. He buys a 24 carat, a million dollar ring. And he comes and tells the girl, proposes and says, will you marry me? And this is the token of love that I have brought to you, saying that I have given everything that I have with you, to you. The girl looks at the ring and she says, she knows just the day before, this fellow was messing around with some other girl. It does not matter how expensive the ring is. Will she accept him? Exactly what he's talking about. Burnt offerings and sacrifices? No. If you're playing the fool with the world and then you come and give your burnt offerings and sacrifices, I don't want it. That's exactly what happened to Cain and Abel. Cain brought his offering. Abel also brought his offering. You know what God does? He looks at Abel and his offering. Cain and his offering. He's looking at the deeds of Cain and then his offering. He's looking at the deeds of Abel and then his offering. He's not looking at the offering. Every time we give an offering, we are making a statement to God. Lord, this is a token of what I have already given you with all of my heart. And sees, God sees our heart and says, okay, fine. I accept that. That is the reason why he tells that, he tells his disciples, you know what he says? That, that lady with two mites. Remember? The widow with two mites. And he says, behold, she has given all the money. She has given more than everybody else. You know what the disciples say? They come out and say, Jesus, did you see the building? Do you see the building? You know how this building was made? Donations. Donations. Everybody gave millions of dollars. They bought one brick. Some people brought several hundred bricks. Some people sponsored the foundation. Some, some people sponsored the, the, the glass work, etc., etc., etc. You know what Jesus says? Do you see all these stones? Not even one stone will be left. He's not interested in our offering. He's interested whether we love God with all of our heart or not. Honestly, children, don't fool ourselves if we don't love Him with all of our heart. We need to ask ourselves, do, do I love God with all of my heart? So, question is, how do I know, first, whether I love God with all of my heart? Else, how do, how can I get myself to love God with all of my heart? First thing, I should, I should understand this. To get the clue for this, I want to look at a parallel passage about Amaziah from 2 Kings and this will unlock the parable of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 25. Let us look at it carefully. 2 Kings chapter 14. Follow carefully. This is from verse 2 onwards of chapter 14 of 2 Kings. This is Amaziah. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. This is common for both Chronicles and Kings. And what does Chronicles say? He did not he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but what? But not with a perfect heart. Now look at, he defines what perfect heart is. Verse 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And what is the perfect heart over here? Yet not like David his father. Wow. 
But he did everything like his father. Joash, notice two fathers. Let me tell you, all of us, we will always have bad examples. Always. The choice is ours whether we will follow bad examples or good examples. But that is not the first lesson. The first lesson is, in order to have a perfect heart, what is required is a new heart. Okay? So spiritual birth, that is important. No, let us look at this in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What did he tell the scribe? You are not very far from the kingdom of God, but you are still not entered into the kingdom of God, unless you are born again, you will not even enter into the kingdom of God. In order for you to love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, you don't keep the sermon on the mount. It is impossible. In order to keep the sermon on the mount, you have to be born again first. And then, John, John's Gospel chapter 3 verses 5 to 6. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So in order for us to enter into the kingdom of God, what is imperative is new birth. Okay, new birth. Okay, everybody is thinking that we are all born again, so let us check ourselves. Very important, our conditions during new birth. I'm just quoting a a passage from the book that I was reading by Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Look at what it says. Quote, Children generally partake of the characteristics of their parents. And converts tend to take on certain characteristics of the ones that were used of God in their conversion. Ah, fantastic. You know what he's saying? You will be like the parents who caused you spiritual birth. Okay, let's move on. But not only that... The type and the kind of meeting in which the people came into the light. Indeed, all circumstances of the new birth tend to influence the subsequent history of these converts more than we often realize. Wow, what a statement. You know what happens in many, many places? What happens is that emotions are raised. Ultimately, the speaker will tell a moving story. Oh, Jesus understands your problem, brother. Jesus understands your problem, sister. You're going through the most difficult problem in your life. God sees your problem. He sees, and he will also name the problem sometimes. And you'll all emotionally charge up. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. What what has happened? Jesus loves me for what? In spite of I'm I'm a sinner, that is not even spoken to you. That is not even told to you. Told you. You come, Jesus will solve your problems. He understands and sees your problem. Your problem goes. But you look at Jesus only as a problem solver and not not a savior from sin. That has happened with many people. Why do you come to Jesus? Because he is a savior who saved me from sins. You shall call his name what? Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. You see that? Spiritual converts. So question is, who is your example? Who is your Father, is David your father or Joash your father? You need to understand, David was a man who messed up several times, but the book of Acts, it records, it says, David what? Full, finished or fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and he slept with his forefathers, with his fathers. That is the example. He goofed up several times. Several times. 
That is the reason why Second Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. Now tell me who was the spiritual, I mean, biological father of Josiah. Any ideas? Biological grandfather at least. Manasa. This is after Manasa. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of who? His father David. Did you see? David was gone several centuries back. That was his example. He did not turn aside to the right hand to the left hand. For in the 8th year of his reign, while he was still young, oh my dear brothers and sisters, 8 years, how many 8 year old here? About 8 years old. He began to seek the God of his father, David. You see, that is his spiritual ancestor. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images and carved images and the molded images. A lot of people say, no, my father, my father, my father. Who's your father? Elijah is my father. Elijah is my father. And he had one spiritual son. His name was Elisha. Look at the way he says. When Elisha's, Elijah is taking, is being taken up to heaven, this is what Elisha says. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. You know what Elisha does? After the mantle falls, he takes the mantle, he tears his clothes, puts on the mantle and he goes to the river and he strikes the river and he says, where is the God of Elijah? The God of Elijah now becomes the God of Elisha. He's a true spiritual child of Elijah. There is another guy who wants to be the spiritual child of Elisha. Look at what he says. 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 14. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with with the illness of which he was to die, Joash king of Israel, or Joash is also called, Joash king of Israel went down to him and wept before him crying, My father, my father. It's like, you know, calling... Papu, Papu. A lot of us call. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Look at this guy. How he ends his life. He also did that which was evil. The same guy who says, my father, my father. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. That is your spiritual father who caused Israel to sin. That is your spiritual father, not Elisha. You deny him with your life. You know, this is so important for us to grow in the Lord, to be really true childs of the faith who wholeheartedly follow God. To know and to have spiritual mentors and to be spiritual mentors. You know, one of the most poignant statements, if you read the entire Bible, it challenges me to the limit is this. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, what? A true son in the faith. Boy. You see, he had hundreds and hundreds of converts in his entire ministry. But he looks at all the people in the ministry and he looks at one guy, Timothy, and he says, he is my true child. That means he has got my spiritual DNA. Spiritual DNA. Challenges me. Now think about it. If God were to take your spiritual DNA, DNA, whom will he find? Will he find Elijah? Or Elisha? Or will he find Jeroboam? Divided people. Whose advice are you following? Who's your father? Who's speaking into your life? That is exactly the reason why God tells, I mean Jesus tells the Pharisees, 
You are of your father the devil and of his works you will do. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. You are exactly like your father. True, the Timothy, a true son in the faith. Now think about it now. How do we therefore become true son who are completely sold out without a, without a divided heart to the father? One dimensionality is so very important in our lives is a dimensionality of mentorship. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 or 13 if I'm right, it says, follow those who have rule over you, who speak the word of God into your life, consider the outcome of their faith and follow their example. Consider the outcome of their faith and follow their example. Every one of us have to have a spiritual guide, a pattern, a pattern whom we can follow. And our pattern is from the word of God. Our pattern, if you want to look at the best pattern in the Bible after Jesus Christ, anybody? Paul. I don't, I mean, I look at that man and I'm completely stunned by his life. Look at what he tells Timothy. How did Timothy become a true child in the faith? Look at, the clue is there in Second Timothy. And if you, if you are really young people who want to get into the ministry, study Timothy. Carefully. And... John MacArthur has got a fantastic series on Timothy. It's beautiful. Second Timothy chapter 3. Look at what he says. What, what did Timothy do in order to f- become a true child of the faith? Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So in order to become a true child of faith, ten things you need to follow. What do you need to follow? How many things? Ten things. Let us look at those ten things. First, my doctrine. Say that. Everybody, read that out loudly. My doctrine. Second, my manner of life. Say that. Third, my purpose. Say that. Fourth, my faith. Say that. Fifth, my long-suffering. Sixth, my love. Seventh, my perseverance. Eight, my persecutions. Nine, my afflictions. My assurance. Ten. Ten things you need to follow. Let's look at that from the beginning again. Doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, assurance. Doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, assurance. First, we'll start with doctrine. Most important, everywhere. Siddhantam in Telugu. Teaching other translations. My doctrine. Where did he get his doctrine from? Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture. He got his doctrine from where? From scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, you know, I was, I was teaching the GDLC kids about doctrine. What is doctrine? They said, what is doctrine? I said, very simple. Doctrine means what is good. Say that. What to do. Say that. What to do. What not to do. How to get corrected. How to stay corrected. Very simple. What to do. 
what not to do, how to get corrected, how to stay corrected. That means if you have a multiplication, how to do multiplication, how not to do multiplication, if you do multiplication wrong, how to get the multiplication table corrected and how to never repeat those mistakes again. That is doctrine. And everybody has a doctrine in their life. Nobody is without doctrine. Either you have, you have the doctrine of Christ or you have a doctrine of demon. You see, everybody has doctrine. Everybody, okay? Everybody, when they're doing certain actions, they have a kind of a, of a philosophy that is backing up their life. My doctrine. So he tells, doctrine, very important. So he tells Timothy, why? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They don't know where they're going. See, everybody believes something about themselves. Everybody believes. No, think about it. No, I mean, somebody was giving an example of this. Two people go for an audition to a Acting, okay? Two people, no? Both of them get rejected. Imagine. Both of them get rejected. One guy is absolutely frustrated. And the other guy is absolutely angry. You know why they are angry? One is angry because of his doctrine. The other is angry because of, I mean, frustrated because of his doctrine. The guy who is frustrated saying, I'm not good at all. Useless. The guy who is angry, I am so good. These fellows don't even deserve me. One day when the, when I become successful, they will come and give me money and say, Babu, Babu, Babu. Everybody has their own doctrine. You see? Their doctrine determines what they believe in and what they believe about themselves. See? That is the reason why it's so very important as to what you believe. What you hear. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were one slave to sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So what does doctrine do? It delivers you from sin. Because sin is so subtle. You know, uh, yesterday we were, I was uh, uh, talking to Eric. He downloaded a series of messages by Tim Keller called uh, Purchase, not downloaded, purchase a series of sermons called uh, Seven Faces of Sin or Several Faces of Sin. First sermon on sin, he talks about sin, which is, he gives us a very interesting example. If you have seen the movie Terminator Part 1, how many of you have seen the movie Terminator Part 1? Shameless fellows, can we? I also saw it, okay. Everybody saw it. In that movie, the predator is after the protagonist called Sarah Connor. Okay? Okay. Movie. Now Sarah Connor is being hunted by this cyborg from the future and everybody underestimates the power of the cyborg. They think he is an ordinary man. So what does the police fellow say? Police fellow says, calls Sarah and says, you know, stay in a crowd. The murderer will not come and open fire in a crowd, but they don't know this fellow. They underestimate him. This fellow comes and happily opens fire in the crowd to kill her. And then the second time, he says, she, they take her to the police station and they say, you sleep in the sofa. There are 50 police people over here. Nothing will happen to you. 
You know what happens? That fellow breaks the prison and comes and tries to kill her, even in the prison. You know what Tim Keller says? That's exactly how sin is. Sin is so subtle, you think it's not going to kill you, but it will kill you eventually. It's like a predator. It is crouching. That is the reason why it tells, what, you know what uh, God tells Cain? Cain, sin is what? Crouching at the door. Have you seen National Geographic? Crouching is a cat frame. A cat phrase. That is how it crouches into the shade. It lies low. It lies so low that the guy thinks that it is not there. That's exactly how sin is. It is so subtle. So subtle. But it's after your life. Suddenly you will realize. You know, but you know how the pride of lions, they, they hunt, right? They are not in one direction. They'll, they hunt in multiple directions and suddenly they all come onto you. That's exactly how sin is. It's as if it is not there, but it is there. Slyly, subtly. You know what doctrine does? It exposes the subtlety of sin and frees you from it. So very important. What kind of a doctrine you subscribe to? Second, my manner of life. You see, your, your doctrine also should show in the way that you live, right? The, 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 the word in Greek is very interesting. It says, it's, the word is agoge, which means the life that you lead, the course of life, the discipline, the conduct, the training. That is what it means. Follow my life. A conduct which accords to the doctrine that is being preached. Look at what it says in First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men. You see that? What kind of men we were among you for your sake and you became followers of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, first you looked at us, then you followed Jesus. So we have first doctrine, second manner of life, third purpose. Love that. What is purpose? A man who is determined and not distracted. Man who is absolutely determined. I'm, I'm telling you honestly, I want to follow people who are not distracted. Oh, Honestly? The only person I see in our church is Pastor James with all his characters. Characteristics. Just as I was not here, so I mentioned that point, okay? See, very interesting. I mean, I, that is the reason why I'm after him, wherever he goes. Have his doctrine, I want to follow his doctrine. I want to follow his way of life or manner of life. And I want to follow his purpose. Everybody should have a purpose. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a purpose? Are you, are you easily distracted? A purpose which is absolutely determined to accomplish without getting distracted. That is one meaning. Second meaning, a man whose life is open to scrutiny. That's what it means. A man who can, oh, you can come and check my life. You know, remember uh, the first disciples who followed Jesus? They heard John speak and they followed Jesus. Jesus was walking, two disciples coming, one of them is Andrew. I think the other was John, because he doesn't mention his name. So John and Andrew are running after him. Jesus looks, what do you seek? Rabbi, where do you live? Come and see. My life is open to scrutiny. Come and see. Ask yourself this question. Do you have, is your life open to scrutiny? Or do you have best kept secrets? Nobody knows. God knows. A man whose life is open to scrutiny. You can come 
and check my finances. You can check my tax returns. You check, you can check my bank statement. You should have that assurance to check my bank statement. This is what, how much I earn. This is how much I pay tax. That should be the kind of life that you live absolutely without reproach. Three things. First thing, let us see that. My doctrine, my manner of life. Third, my purpose. Fourth, my faith. I love this. What is that? My faith. What is about Paul? What was the beautiful thing about Paul? What is the one thing that you look at Paul and say, this man had faith? You know what it, what I look, when I look at him, the enormity of his sin and the belief that God has forgiven him, irrespective of how much he has sinned against him. Think about it. He killed Christians. And you know what he said? God forgave me. That is faith. That is faith. Look at what it says in First Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 onwards. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he has counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did ignorantly in unbelief. You know what he says? He's absolutely sure about his salvation. He knows how much he has sinned and he also knows that he has been forgiven. Amazing. Amazing. Lot of people, they don't have this assurance, but they still think, I should do still something to earn God's favor. You see, that is faith. Faith is nothing in my hands I bring. Simply come to the cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless I look to thee for grace. Fall out to thy front and fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is faith. Faith, nothing. Greatest. And then, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That is what he's talking about, faith. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief. You know what he's saying? I can identify myself with the worst of sinners. This is exactly what I was, and Christ Jesus saved a wretch like me. That is what true salvation is. That is what true faith is. Where you have come to to have peace with God. Knowing that everything that you have done in the past is under the blood of Jesus. When you confess and you have repented of your sin. That is faith. First, that is faith. Second part of faith is this in... um, uh, verse two, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 5 through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all Gentiles to the what? To the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. Meaning the second aspect of faith, a man who is absolutely obedient. Think about it, no? Somebody calls you, get this job done. What do you say? Uh, no, today, tomorrow. That's exactly what happened, right? Two sons that man had. One son said, do this. Okay, I will do. Did he do it? No. The other son, he said, no, I will not do it. But later, what did he do? He changed his mind. Which son obeyed? The second fellow. Are you obedient? Second thing, Acts chapter 26 verse 19. Therefore, O King Akriba, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is a man full of obedience. Obedience absolutely sold out for God. So three things, four things now. First, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. Hallelujah. The next one, my long suffering. Ah, this is difficult. How is long-suffering tested? It is tested with other brothers. You know, I'll tell you, when you are in a class and you are a teacher, 
your long suffering is tested with the slowest student. You know, when I was in university, I had this philosophy. The faster I speak, the easier to understand. That was my philosophy. So we had, uh, after the course is over, we have feedback. So I had 125, uh, 250 students who gave me feedback, okay? Uh, out of 250 students, 225 students, they gave me one line. Fast, 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 too fast, too fast, 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 too, too, too fast, too, too fast. Good teacher, fast, fast, fast. And to add more insult to injury, my director also said, Vijay, you're too fast. And to add more insult to that injury, pastor also said, Vijay, you're too fast. So, this fast, and I'm like, oh, but I'm like John MacArthur, no? He also speaks very fast. And he says, the faster I read, the attention span is very high. Because you're all trying to understand, no? I speak fast to get the attention of my congregation. That's what I justified myself. But the, but the problem here is this. You see, your perseverance is tested with the guy who is slowest. And you are going to, that's what he, like, like what did Jesus say? I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. If if anybody has hundred sheep, ninety-nine are in the barn, one fellow gets goes astray, will you not go and run after that one guy? That is Paul. I mean I'm thinking about it, you know. He is one brilliant guy, okay? But he didn't start like that. It's extremely brilliant. Brilliant. All brilliant people here. Who are they are, okay? Who are dares to think they are brilliant, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all brilliant people, remember, there will be slow people in your life. Okay? You know, we have, we have a course called Digital Logic and Processor. The speed of the processor is equal to the slowest chip. That's the speed of the processor. The sp- processor could be 2.5 gigahertz. <laughs> but if the, if the bus speed is only 700 megahertz, sorry, that is your e- equivalent speeds. See? But you need to have patience with the people who are slow, who are lethargic, who are lazy, who get easily discouraged. Motivate them! Because in motivating them, you are growing, not them. You understand? So what, what does he tell Timothy? Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Sorry. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Ante, there are different, different kinds of long suffering. All the kinds of long suffering that you can have, have them all. Because with ladies, you will have to have one kind of long suffering. With teenagers, you should have one other kind of long suffering. With older people, you should have another kind of long suffering. With younger people, you should have another kind of long suffering. With your own guys, you should have another kind of long suffering. All kinds of long suffering. Ladies could be a little too emotional, etc. But you should be, you should understand them. Older people could be a little set in their patterns. You should understand them. Your guys could be too zealous and saying, Lord, shall we bring fire down from heaven? You should be patient with them. You know, that is exactly the, that is how James was, okay? There were two, two brothers, James and John. They were called what? Boenerges, sons of thunder. Who was the first guy to get martyred? 
James, our fellow was on fire. I mean, nobody could stop him. He used to go, repent or die, repent or die, repent or die. You know, that's exactly what he did. And, and all the Jewish people got very scared. And they said, first fellow to get, get rid of is James. Said so they got rid of James. You see? Fire. So, be patient. Have all kinds of long long suffering with all kinds of people. Please pray for me. Okay? So, man, we need to have. Because I know my, my, my wife, uh, when I'm recording the Proverbs lesson every day in the morning and the devotional, so she listens to my recording. Hey, sit up. Don't speak. Go there. Time out. It's there in the recording. And she says, Vijay, I'm sending to the parents. If they don't know you, they will not send their children to the school. <laughs> Please, have mercy. So now, what I'm doing is, whenever I get upset, I go to the student and I say, I'm recording. <laughs> Please, <laughs> be patient with me. Okay, so... All kinds of long-suffering you need. And this is Paul. Paul was a man who had all kinds of long-suffering. And all of us should have that. If you want to win people. Otherwise, you know what will happen? If you don't have all kinds of long-suffering, we'll be senile. We'll be always criticizing. We'll be calling you sinner. They will run away. See? Jesus was, was very patient. The people who was actually impatient with people who think that they are, they have arrived. He was always impatient with Alberts. I mean, Albert Einstein's, whatever. Okay. Okay. You got, you got that, right? That. So, so my long suffering. So let's look at the five things for the first one. My doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, and if you want a lot of long suffering, what do you need? My love. How many times when my brother comes, I should forgive? Seven times seven? Seventy times seven. Another guy, another time he says, How many times should a brother sin against me? I should forgive. You know what? Seven times seven, you know what Jesus? Increase my faith. Increase. I need a lot of faith for that. So what do I need? I need love. Look at this man's love. Look at this man's love. This is amazing. This is Paul and epitome of how Jesus Christ would have lived if he would have continued to live 33 and a half years after his death and his resurrection. This is how he would have lived. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good response they want to shut you out that you make make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you, etc. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. I wish I could be present with be present with you and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Look at that. This is Paul. You know what he says? Galatians, I became like you. Please become like me. Please now. He says, you know what? He became all things to all people so that by at least he could save a few by some means. For the Jewish people, he became like the Jew. For the Gentile people, can you believe he became like a Gentile to the Gentiles, a kosher eating rabbi? Amazing what the love of God can do. Mm -hmm. My love, 
Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It means it believes for the people. Lord, this brother, this sister has a purpose in their lives. And I believe, oh Lord, what you have started in their life, you will end it, oh Lord. I am going to be with that brother. I am going to be with that sister till he finishes his course. Amazing. I find that in pastor a lot. My love. It's always, you know, you know, uh, we were discussing about capital punishment, right? I said, pastor, capital punishment, pastor. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Death for death. He looked at me and he said, Vijay, punishment always has to be redemptive. But pastor, think, think, think about it, okay? Just think about that statement now. Punishment always has to be redemptive. Even when God is punishing you, He is punishing you so that He is hoping perhaps you will repent and come back to Him. That is how He punishes. It's always redemptive. Okay. Got it? So let us look at the six things now. Okay. First, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my perseverance, sorry, my long-suffering, my love, and the next one, seventh one, my perseverance. What is perseverance? Undeterring. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are, what your emotions are, how you feel, how you not feel, you will do the work of God because you ought to do it. That is perseverance. I think about it, you you own the organization. Think about it, you own a business. Okay, You are the owner of the business. Can you call somebody and say, today I'm sick? No. No owner of a business will say, today I'm sick, I'm not coming to the office. No, but your employee will. Sir, today, stomach pain, sir. Please, sir, I can't come. Okay, stomach pain. I have all pains. I will still go. You know, this is so important in missions. So important. I mean, pastor was uh, recently went to a mission, not here, but to Sikkim. He was ill for the first few days. You know what? But he couldn't stop ministering because it is his purpose. Just because he can't say, you know, I'm sick today, I can't preach. No. Because he owns the work that God has given him. You see? That is how we work. If Think about it, no? I mean, any ministry you can head. And we also have a school. I was telling Jasmine and I, we can never afford to call in sick. <laughs> if we are calling sick, nobody is there in the school to work. See? You can't. Sick, no sick, with illness. Doesn't matter, we will still go. Why? Because it is ours. It is my father's work. I will persevere. Even if I am not up to it. I don't feel up to it. Think about it, the way you go to office like that. Wow. The employee will look at you and say, Kya ho gaya re baba tere ko? Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived my concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have had, you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to be abound. I, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will persevere. It doesn't matter how many ob- uh, obstructions I may have in my life. So seven things. Yes. Let's see. My doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. Seven things. Eight. My persecutions. Ah, this is something which nobody wants. Like yesterday, pastor was telling, no? He said, every letter was written from a persecuted church to a persecuted church. No letter was written. In, in leisure, except I think Romans. I don't know. Maybe, no? It's Romans, right? Because we are studying Romans and it's such a logical letter to think logically under pressure. Only Paul can do it. So we'll give it to him. Even that is written under persecution. Okay? So Lord, look at what he says. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, not maybe, will be, say that, will be persecuted. Meaning, if you do not have any opposition to you in your life, you need to ask yourself, are you really worth being followed? I mean, I know 11 years of our church. I know the leadership. Opposition after opposition after opposition and only increasing levels of opposition. You see that? See, that is how you become a true child in faith because you follow that. Don't think it is an easy life. My persecutions. Matthew chapter 5. We know this. Blessed, rich, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You should be persecuted for righteousness sake not not being a moron at work. You know, nowadays we use high funda vocabulary for explaining stupid things. Therefore, we need to high, find high, higher find of vocabulary to explain the things of the Bible. Oh, I have a very tough wife. I'm being persecuted. Nonsense. You're being a lousy husband. Simple. You see? Straightforward. We use persecution so lightly. Our terms are used so flippantly. That's the reason why it tells the, the, the bond slaves, if you do right and then you are persecuted for that. Blessed are you. If you suffer for doing right. But don't suffer for doing wrong. If you are beaten up for doing wrong. You deserve it. Sorry. I have to speak the truth in love. Okay. So I will smile and speak it. Okay. Blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you. On my account. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, so you say, you saw the persecution. Persecution is opposition. Meaning whenever you're doing some genuine work for the Lord, you will always have opposition. You don't have to search for it. It will come to you. Knock at your door. In subtle forms. Incredible variations. Wherever Paul went, Halagullah only. Persecutions. So we have persecutions. And then finally, these are nine things. Now we have, lastly, my, was ninth thing, my sufferings. Look at this. 
Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. My dear brothers and sisters, you have to go through suffering. What is suffering? Things that God will allow in your lives to prune you, to test your character. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. For it became him, <coughs> that is Jesus, for, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bring many sons unto glory to make the captain of the salvation. What? Perfect through suffering. How do you bring fruit to maturity to perfection? Through sufferings. If you suffer with him, then you will be glorified together with him. That is the order. That is the reason why he tells the people, who, I mean the two disciples who are going on the way to Amos, you foolish of heart, I mean, slow of heart and uh, and those who do not obey what the prophets have said, was not Christ to have suffered first and then attained into glory. Suffering is always preceded by glory. I mean sorry, is preceded by glory. Need to suffer. Meaning suffering means testing. All kinds of testing. Financial testing. Relationship stress. All kinds. Finally. Tenth one. My sufferings. Finally. What? My assurance. Look at what it says. The assurance of this man. At my first defense. No one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Look at the assurance of this man. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I'm telling you honestly. 10 years of our church. 11 years of our church. We know the Lord stood by us and strengthened us. In all kinds of struggles that we have gone through. He stood by us. He came through at the last instances. In the most difficult situations. I know it personally. Assurance. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles and so that all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Think think about it. Was he rescued from death? No. He was not rescued from death. He was rescued from bitterness. He could have become bitter. But he never became bitter. He always became better. He had more assurance. Look at another passage. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heaven. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we have in our lives an assurance that one day, today, if we finish our course, we will be there with the Father in heaven. That is the assurance he's talking about. Hmm. Acts chapter 27. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up. This is during shipwreck. Among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set off to Crete and incurred this injury and loss. He tells, uh, I think in the Philippians, all the Cretans are liars. Okay, so <laughs> you should have listened to me. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Can you imagine the assurance of this man? None of you will die. Only the ship will go. They will be looking at that fellow and say, what are you talking about? If the ship goes, we are gone. Look at what he says. Next page. Next, next verse. For this very night, there stood before me an angel. Look at this. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the, of, uh, angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I belong to that God. I worship him alone. I belong, I have surrendered my life into his hands. I have an assurance that he's standing right beside me and he has strengthened me. All your lives are in my hands. Nobody will die. That is assurance. That is assurance. You know something? I want to follow people who have that assurance. 
And I want to be a man who has assurance so that people can follow me. My assurance. So take heart men. For I have faith in God. That it will be exactly as I have been told. Look at the audacity of this man. That is assurance. So let's quickly recap. This morning. My doctrine. My manner of life. My purpose. My faith. My long suffering. My love. My perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions, my assurance. It starts with what? Doctrine ends with kya baat hai. Look at the order. If you don't get this right, you will not have anything here. Simple. If you don't get doctrine right, your assurance is gone for a toss. You have shipwreck of your faith. So many people, they have their own doctrine, Baba. They have their own funda. I mean, I don't want to listen to people who don't have biblical precedence for their ideas. I don't want to even listen to them. I don't want to waste my time. It doesn't matter how intellectual you are, very brilliant, you are an Ivy League graduate, doesn't matter to me. All your degrees are equivalent to the trash can. If it is not biblical and if it is not scriptural. That is the reason why all scripture is profitable for what? Doctrine. What is right? What is not right, how to get corrected, how to stay corrected. That is doctrine. If that is not there in your life, doesn't matter. Whatever you do, how many degrees you get, whatever intellectual exercises and gymnastics you might might want to do, you will never have assurance in your life. You will always be dicey. I don't know. I don't know. Ask. Ask. Karl Marx. uh, What will happen when the crisis comes? I don't know. Ask any leader. What will happen? I don't know. Ask Muhammad. I don't know. Will you go to heaven? I don't know. Please pray for me. Peace be upon him. PBUH. You know that, right? Still we are praying so that Muhammad will enter into heaven. He doesn't have assurance. But what does Paul say? I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished. That is assurance. So finally we will end with this verse. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our, of our, of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my, what? True child in the faith. You have true child. How do you become a true child? By becoming, by having a father. His name should be what? David. What's his name? David. You know, Pastor James's email ID? <laughs> David man after God's own heart. He calls himself. I said like, that's interesting. That's my father. You see? My father. Is David, not people who messed up, doesn't matter how successful they might be, they might have been in their lives. Doesn't matter. I want to follow people who have assurance, who have doctrine, and all the other things in the middle. So this morning, how do we become people who are not half-hearted? Ten things. Doctrine to assurance. Keep that every day of your life. Check, 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 check. Especially in the middle is one thing, love. Very, very important. Okay? Love covers a multitude of sins. Who said that? Peter and James, both. Peter and James. Because Peter wanted love to cover his 
goof-ups. I don't know about James, but certainly about Peter. So this morning, can we all stand up in the house of the Lord? See, this is for all of us, no? I am a fellow traveler like you. I don't think that I'm better or worse or anything. I don't have, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I never think that at all, just because I'm here. That's only God's calling that he has placed me here. That is not because, not that is not to say that I'm better and I've arrived. No, I am in this journey with you together. And as much as I'm in this journey, I want to encourage all of us. It doesn't matter what your age is. You could be as young as eight years. You could be as old as 80. But it is for all. Doctrine to assurance. Doctrine to assurance. And all that is in between. If you have that, you will have the confidence. You will have the assurance. And you know deep down inside of your heart, the Lord has circumcised it and caused you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Okay? This morning, let's pray. Let's ask God. Just a few minutes. Can we just close our eyes? And you can just pray in your own ways. One song and we will worship. And then we will pray. And then we will say, Lord, (laughs) circumcise my heart. I want to love you. I don't want to be a half-hearted. Without assurance, wanderer. See? I want to be sure of, of my walk. Yes. Spirit, come make us humble. Give us clean hands, give us pure heart. Let us not lift our souls to Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that sees, seeks your face, oh God, I take up. Oh God, let us be a generation. Father, this morning, Father, we just come to you, O Lord. If you've been trying to be perfected in our own flesh, we come to you. And Lord, we want to listen to that exhortation that you told Abraham. Abraham, walk before my face and be perfect. Father, to walk before you, to have a life which is open to your scrutiny, to have a clear conscience with God and with man. What a privilege that we have in the new covenant. Oh Lord, I pray that you would touch each one of us this morning. Oh Lord, you said through your servant James, cleanse your hearts, your hands, you sinners. Purify heart, your hearts, you're double-minded. 
And I pray, Lord, that you cleanse us, wash us, give, grant us the gift of repentance, grant us a broken and a contrite spirit, enable us to mourn over our sin. Lord, not over all that we have lost in this world, but over the sin that we have committed against you. And you said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Oh Lord, come and comfort your people this morning. Lord, grant them the gift of repentance. Grant us broken and a contrite heart. You are able to do it, O oh Lord. You are able to grant repentance, O oh Lord. You are able to draw, grant us conviction. You are able to grant us change. You are able. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This, mo- this morning we just come to you and we surrender ourselves to you this morning. Oh Lord, touch Lord, touch every one of us, O oh Lord. Every one of us. Lord, make us single. Make us single. Make us united. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Oh Lord, enable us. Lord, like the psalmist to say, I will serve the Lord with my whole heart. Enable us to be like Caleb who said, I will serve the Lord with my whole heart. I am sold out to my God. I belong to him. I am his. And I worship him. Lord, we want to come to you this morning. Break every idol in our lives, O Lord. Every idol, everything that we hold dear to ourselves, O Lord. And we just want to want to release it into your hands, O Lord. Oh, Father, we want to release this morning. We don't want to have divided hearts, O Lord, like a Messiah, O Lord. We don't want to wor- worship worthless idols, O Lord. Worthless idols, O Lord, and forsake our own mercy. Idols which do not profit, O Lord. Oh, break us this morning. Make us united. Make us single, united in purpose. Touch every one of us this morning. Wash us from our sin. Cleanse us from our iniquity. Thoroughly, O Lord Father, from our transgression. Oh, you said in your word, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no guile. Oh Lord, Grant us that blessedness this morning. Blessedness of change. Blessedness of repentance. Blessedness of singleness of purpose. Father, change our thinking. Correct our doctrine. Grant us assurance. Increasingly, even as we walk with you, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. We just bless your holy name this morning. We just bless your holy name. Just lift your hands this morning and just bless Jesus. Just bless him this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, O Lord. Hallelujah. Touch each one of us this morning. Touch, 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 Lord. Touch. Oh, Father, even as we go through the rest of the week, enable us to have your word hidden in our hearts. Let it continually burn in our hearts, O Lord. And cleanse us from all the works of the flesh. Father, enable us to say with Paul, we are the circumcision who worship Christ Jesus. We worship God in the spirit who glory in Christ Jesus and who have no confidence in the flesh. Oh, Father, cleanse us from our from our confidence, O Lord, in our own strength, O Lord. Oh, Jesus, enable us to be completely, totally be dependent upon you, O Lord. 
Enable us to walk with you, O Lord, through this week. Touch us, anoint us to that end, we pray. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.